you guys are awake and joining us at this 9.30 service. Uh, if you guys are online, thank you guys for joining us online. Uh, if you're just joining us today, you can find in person the, I think we still have lyric sheets over there on the guest welcome table, as well as on your phones at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. Or you can just you know look at the big screens that we've got and uh, and use those. If you are online, you can find the lyrics online at the website that you access the Zoom from, civalhammer.com forward slash Sunday. Uh, you can also find all our speaker notes there and all the resources you'll need for the message today. I don't know about you guys, but it has been a week. And so I want to really sing about God's uh, faithfulness and the fact that he is our solid rock, our firm foundation, no matter what comes at us. So would you stand with me uh, as we sing of just this eternal and uh, perfect hope and security we have in Jesus. How firm. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, he is with us, oh be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his merciful almighty hand. How firm! Our foundation, how sure our salvation, and we will not be shaken. Jesus, firm foundation. In the soul that's trusting. The soul that is trusting in Jesus as Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storm. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. He'll never, no, never. But he 
good morning. My name is Mark Klepsig. I am privileged to serve on the board here of the church and uh, really wanted to welcome you this morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, um, we'd like to invite you to take a book. It's a book that's called How Good is Good Enough. We have that available on the resource table over here. Um, and so that would be just for you or you want to give it away to friends or family, feel free to take that. Uh, also, um, myself and the other church leaders would love to meet you. So if you're around, I'll be around after service. We'd love to just chat and say hi. Um, so if you uh, are online, you'll want to go to our website, uh, civalhambra.com slash Sunday. And there you can find the listening guide, uh, speaker notes, um, and the lyrics for the songs. If you can't see them on this screen here. Um, or if you're vertically challenged like me, or you just want um, to use digital uh, uh, versions of that, you can go if you're here in the courtyard with us today. Um, I do have one announcement, which is that we will be having our volunteer picnic uh, two weeks from now on Saturday. I think it's the 14th. Um, and that will be uh, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Vincent Lugo Park. So we'd uh, encourage all of you to join us there. It'll be lots of fun. We'll have uh, food and games for all ages. Um, and, and everyone is welcome. So if you haven't yet picked a place to volunteer, uh, that's, that doesn't exclude you from just celebrating the people that really work hard and make church go for us. And so that's for everybody. Um, so if you would sign up on your connection card, uh, which also can be found at that same link, uh, ciblhamber.com slash Sunday, We'd love to know um, that you're coming and plan food for you, and happy to see you there. So we're going to sing another couple songs, and then John uh, will come up and give our message. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Would you stand with us as we continue to sing? strength and my song this cornerstone the solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, took on flesh fullness of god in helpless pain this gift of love and righteousness 
scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. It's in you we live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world. By darkness lay, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. Lord, Lord, 
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, a faultless stand before the throne. Just declare it on Christ's solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other declare us today our strength comes from him i find my strength i find my strength i find my hope i find my help in christ alone when fear assails when darkness falls i find my peace in christ alone i give my life i give my all The King of kings, the Lord of all, all heaven sings to Christ alone, to Christ alone, to Christ we thank you that you are our rock and our defender amidst the fluctuating and changing principles and values of this world you are the one that remains constant and faithful Lord you are our fortress you are our shield you give grace and you give glory to those who walk uprightly you promise never to leave or forsake us and so we anchor our hearts and our hopes upon you our savior Here's our hope that it has entered behind the veil into the presence of God and gone before us. We love you. We can't thank you enough. So we ask these things and pray these things. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Lovely to see you again and to be with you this morning and be together as we are worshiping the Lord in the presence of the Lord. 
Now, those of you who may be new or have come, just started coming to the church recently or are online, uh, just introduce myself briefly, take off my hat. And uh, my name is John Taylor, and I am, uh, if you're wondering about the accent, it's kind of a mixed bag of accents. I'm from Australia. I spent many years in England working as a missionary, and uh, now I've lived for many years also in America where I'm teaching New Testament now at Gateway Seminary down in Ontario, uh, just a few miles from here. And uh, so, but I'm delighted to be with, with, with the church this morning. And my wife Heidi is here. She's a California girl. And, uh, and so that's, that's who I am. And, uh, but more importantly, of course, our identity is not so much found in our place of birth, our ethnic group, even our history, but ultimately our identity is in, in Jesus, the one who made us, the one for whom we are made, and, and he is where we find our ultimate identity. That's why we can have unity together from all nations and, and tribes and peoples and languages uh, in Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking about pleasing God, about pleasing God or the character of Christian living. And we are on a series through the book of First Thessalonians. And, uh, and so what we are trying to do is every week, uh, we're trying to get, we go to another passage, the next passage in this book, which is a letter of Paul he wrote to the Thessalonians, probably the first letter that we have of Paul's that was written in the New Testament, probably the earliest written document that we have in the New Testament around about, or maybe written there, uh, sort of uh, 50, about 48, 49, 51, some, somewhere in there, just around AD 50. So, uh, and this is an incredible insight into the early church, how they lived, how they walked, how they practiced life, and what are some of the issues they're facing. And it's incredibly relevant to us, as of course it's part of the scripture, it's, it's, and it's the word of God. So we're going to be starting by reading the passage, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are being taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So let's think about the context. 
story so far in, in First Thessalonians is, is that Paul has been telling a story uh, about, how they, about how the Thessalonians met Jesus, heard the gospel through Paul, Silas and Timothy and others. And, uh, and we know that the context there is that there was persecution immediately on the young church and Paul had to leave town in a hurry and escape to the south, uh, to Athens and to Corinth. And this left the Thessalonians on their own, perhaps wondering what they had done. Did I, did I do the right thing? What was, what's happened to me? I've, you know, did, and, uh, and here we are, right? The first and only church that's ever been in Thessalonica and uh, not a lot of support around. So that's the context. Chapter 1, Paul reminds them of the events of their, of their conversion, uh, of the character of Christian conversion, what it means. Uh, and, uh, and he, he talks about how it was to start out right. And in chapter 2, he talked about the character of Christian mission, how did, or Christian outreach, how it was that the messengers of the gospel had integrity. So their conversion had authenticity and reality. Their evangelists had authenticity and genuineness, integrity. And chapter 3, uh, we saw, talks about how to, how to deal how they are meant to deal with the initial problems that face an, a young Christian, a young believer, the attacks of Satan, and how to overcome those, and and so and threats to the faith, and it finishes, of course, in chapter three with this tremendous affirmation that the Lord Jesus is coming back, and he's and so that's the context. Now we launch into in chapter four in this awareness of the return of the Lord and Paul has said there in chapter 3 uh, may the Lord make you increase and abound to what to in love to one another and to everybody as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones all his angels probably so notice then that the context is looking forward to the return of Christ that we uh, that we need to be in holiness because he's coming with his holy ones and you'll notice the title given to Jesus in 313 the last verse of chapter 3 is the Lord Jesus and that's the same title you'll see is given to him in verses 1 and 2 of our passage verse of chapter 4 the Lord Jesus and you know sometimes he uses the word Christ for Jesus the Messiah uh, here, he's emphasizing Jesus as Lord uh, three times in three verses. So uh, Jesus as Lord, he's in charge, and uh, we need to submit to him. So that's the, the context here. The Lord is coming back. And even though in a text it says, finally, in 4 verse 1, finally, brothers, uh, Probably and finally is not the best translation here. It's really saying, okay, and now as to everything else that there remains to be said. He's kind of moving from the story of their conversion now and early growth. Now he's going to give them instruction uh, and so on how to live. And, and so that's what's, that's what's happened here. And you'll notice he calls them brothers or in some translations brothers and sisters. Um, and that's typically what he does uh, quite often when he's starting a new thought. And so in this text, he's going to be talking about obeying Jesus in 
every area of life. Conversion, perhaps, he thinks of as repentance and change. It's not just a new belief structure, but it's a new way of living. And uh, it means turning away from an old way of living, just like we saw in chapter 1. You know, when you're converted, some things just fall off. When you meet Jesus, some things just change. And, uh, and without even too much thought. I, I, when I was converted at the age of 19, and, and so I, you know, I used to smoke, and I actually smoked a pipe, and uh, it, it wasn't, you know, it was something that my dad had done, and then I did. And uh, so anyway, when I, uh, uh, when, after I met Jesus, literally on a mountain, a few weeks, about six or seven weeks later, I suddenly, you know, I haven't smoked in like seven weeks. What's up with that? It just disappeared from my life. And it was, you know, I'm not saying it was the worst thing I ever did, but it was something that just, that needed to go. And it just went without me thinking about it too much. Some things we get convicted of and have to change deliberately. Like also when I was converted, I discovered I needed to change the, my language. You know, there was some... I'd learned a lot of words uh, when I was in the Boy Scouts, and uh, that's where I learned my bad language. And so uh, I had to, uh, that had to change, and so that required more than just sort of, oh, uh, it's disappeared. No, that didn't disappear. I had to stop it. And so some things we have to, ch I get, have to change deliberately, but when we're converted, we don't always understand the full implications of what repentance and obedience to Jesus means. And uh, we don't understand the depth of our own selfishness, the depth to which the work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives must go. And that's why it's not just a question of, okay, now I'm converted, I'm good to go, I can just live like I want. No, it's got to, it, there's, a, there's an ongoing change. And this is what this passage is talking about. So we come to our first uh, section here, which is on verses 1 and 2, building on what you know, the priority of growth, the priority of growth. Finally then, brothers, he says, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, or perhaps we can translate walk in order to please God, how you should live so as to please God, just as you're doing. He says, do it more, abound in it all the more. In other words, grow, 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 grow. We've already seen emphasis on growth in this letter in 3.10. Paul talks about making up, coming to visit them to make up what was lacking in their faith. Uh, in 3.12, he prayed for their increase of love. And now he says, just everything you receive from us, how you ought to walk, how to live, those are please God, just do it more. An emphasis on the priority of growth and how, well how are you supposed to do that how are you supposed to grow uh, but you start with what you know look at what Paul says in this text that uh, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing and in verse 2 you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus so start with what you know listen are you living out what you already know that's if you think, I've got to, I want to grow more in the Lord. I want to become a more mature Christian. Well, are you already living out what you know? That's a huge question right there, which we could spend a lot of time on. But, uh, you know, for most people, 
the problem of ethics is not the problem of knowing, but the problem of doing. All right? In other words, when you, if you took an ethics class at school, I can guarantee you almost 99% that if you took an ethics class at school or some at college or somewhere like that, uh, or you'd had an ethics discussion in your company, your business, uh, the c discussion is not, is all about what's right and what's wrong, or how you judge how to live, different kind of ethical systems and so on. But you know, for most people, the biggest problem of ethics is not what, but how. Most people already know a lot about how they should live, they're just not doing it, right? And so the biggest problem is not what we should do, but the fact that we're not already doing what we already know. That's the major ethical problem of the world. And of course, that's what Jesus solves through the work of the cross, through his death for our sins, and through the dynamic work of the Spirit in our lives. So, it's all about living to please God. Start with what you know and live that out. To, to grow means, therefore, to establish uh, and, uh, you know, and to push on in what we already know. It's all about living to please God. That's what Paul says. It's, it's necessary. It has to happen. Who are you primarily seeking to please? Yourself, someone else, or the Lord? You know, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, famous verse, you know, without faith it's impossible to please him, that is to please the Lord, please God. So pleasing God starts with faith, but that's not all it is. And here he talks, you need, you need to understand how you're supposed to live. You've received from us how you're supposed to live in order to please God. Well, do it more. I think it's quite remarkable that God has so opened himself to us. I'll just wait for a moment. The, uh, apparently the TV stations counted us so newsworthy this morning, they sent a helicopter uh, to, just to tell everyone, look what they're doing down there in Alhambra. Thank you for that. See you on 7 o'clock news. So, we start with faith, we need to move on, we need to grow. It's not just, of course, staying as beginners. The priority of growth, right? It's amazing that God has opened himself up to us so much that the way we live it can even can affect him some sense that he's pleased or not pleased by the way we live. He's not detached from his human creation, but engaged with us, responds to us, and is involved with us. That's an incredible privilege that we have to be able even to please God. And that let that be the goal of your life. To you know, that's just the goal of life. It's to make God happy please him. So this first two verses then is about the priority of growth. In what ways are you already living and pleasing God according to the teaching of the Bible? Do it more, right? Do it more. You see, sometimes we get spiritually stagnated. We stop growing 
And guess what? If you stop growing, you're going to start sliding backwards to some extent. And what, what's the evidence of spiritual stagnation? Here's some, some basic ones for you. You're not taking any new steps of faith. You're not taking any risks of faith. That would be an evidence of spiritual stagnation. You start finding yourself going back to old habits and old unfortunate ways of life. You lose interest in reading the Bible and in praying. You give up gathering with believers. You don't share your faith. Listen, don't settle for spiritual stag. We please God by growing <laughs> in faith, in love, and hope, and of, in holiness, as we're going to see t this morning. And of course, when we grow, we've got to grow according to the instructions, right? Follow the manual, the scriptures, of course. Paul said we received it, how to do it. Grow this way. Grow the way. Grow the right way. I want, I want, last thing on this, past, this part of the text, notice the strength of expression, how Paul takes a long time to get to what he wants to say. It's not until halfway, it, it, he says, brothers, we're asking you, urging you in the Lord Jesus, just to see from us how it's necessary to walk and to please God, just as you are also walking or indeed walking, do it more. That's a big build-up to that one thing that he wants to say. And that's, what, that's a kind of rhetorical or, or a, a literary device that people use. The more important something is, the longer they take to get to it. it it's a, a way of saying, I'm just something, I've got really something important to tell you. It's going to change your life. You just need to listen, be careful. If I'm going on like that, what I'm doing, of course, is wanting you to focus attention on what I'm about to say. That's a, and Paul has a big build-up here to this notion of growth. And he also, he talks, also theological strengths, right? It's in the Lord Jesus. It's through the Lord Jesus. It's necessary. And it's about abounding all the more in these things. So grow, grow, grow to please God. Second point, verses 3 to 8. Negotiating sex and marriage, the priority of holiness. Negotiating sex and marriage, the priority of holiness. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, uh, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word here, porneia, meaning all kinds of sexual sin. The will of God, Paul says, is sanctification. He's saying, right, we've said to grow, now let's get specific. We said to grow, said to please God. How do you do that? Let's get specific and... It's all about holiness here in this passage. Now, this word sanctification, the Greek word hagiosmos, uh, it's, it, it's kind of got a sense of being set apart for God, set apart from, separated from something to something, separated from our selfish, evil ways, sinful ways, and set apart to God. There's an element of both crisis and process in this word sanctification. The crisis is the moment of set up, being set apart, of being delivered from one way of life and go into another to be dedicated, consecrated to God. The process is how we grow in that, in grow in holiness. And both are there. 
And so he's talking about holiness, especially in the area of sexual relationships and marriage. Keep away from immorality. The first, so he starts off with a negative command, right? Don't do immorality. It's all kinds of sexual sin. By the way, in the Greek and Roman culture of the day, in which Paul was working and operating and was there in Thessalonica, it was, you know, let's just say that although there was a kind of public righteousness that was expected, uh, there was, it was totally acceptable for people, especially men, to have affairs outside of marriage. In fact, it was kind of expected of them. And, uh, and, and so, or with their slaves, slave girls, uh, that's, that's kind of normal. It was also very normal for men to, uh, at the same time as they were doing all that, to have relations with, uh, you know, teenage boys. And, uh, and all of that was going on uh, and quite normal in their, in their eyes. Paul is really teaching a radical ethic in his world, which still is radical in our days as well. And he says to them in verse 4 and 5 then, control your own body. This is, of course, a positive command. Don't keep away from immorality. Control your own body. Now, there is a translation issue because in the Greek text here, uh, the word uh, control, it can be translated, in fact, is more often translated to obtain or to possess or to get. And the word translated body uh, is actually the word skuos in Greek means vessel. So literally or woodenly, you translate it, uh, to control or to possess your own vessel. Now, what does that mean? It's, it's obviously a metaphor of some kind, and people have several options on this one. Some people look over to First Peter, where he talks about the, the uh, uh, wife in, in the marriage relationship as the weaker vessel, using the same word, so that must be the wife. So here, the idea would be to obtain a wife in a holy way. That was, and some translations do that. Uh, and some, or to treat your wife in a holy way. There, the, uh, some people think that, it's a, that the word vessel here is a metaphor for uh, the male sex organ. And so this would be, it's kind of euphemism, if you like, not a metaphor, but a euphemism, a roundabout way of some, saying something you don't want to say explicitly. And so that's possible here. He's particularly talking about men, you know, controlling that part of your body. Uh, but I think... Overall, most likely, it's simply a way of, it, it's a metaphor for controlling, for self-control in the sexual area. And in holiness and honor is how you do it. And of course, not in the passion of lust, like the nations who don't know God. Guess what? This is all about the desire. This passage is about saying, don't follow the passions of your desires like the nations around, like the people around, like the nations who don't know God. Listen, your desires and your passions are, guess what? Not the key to your identity. Your desires and your passions are not the core of who you are. Your desires and your passions are not your priority. This is very countercultural in the 21st century, where we think that our desires, our passions, our wants are what's the most important thing about us. Paul's saying the exact opposite. 
They can't, desires can be wrong. Desires can be controlled, even changed when necessary. I once was praying with a, uh, you know, in a church, in, in a Christian gathering. Uh, there was a, a kind of altar call for Christian people who wanted prayer for various things. And there was a couple of us praying for this girl. She said, I'm, I'm, she's at this Christian event. She said, I'm really afraid when I go home, I'm going to, well, I'm going to backslide. And so I, I, we're just trying to ask her, why would you be afraid of that? And, uh, and so she wasn't saying, she couldn't seem to get it out. And so in my mind, I'm asking Jesus, saying, Lord, what's up with her? Why, why, why is she so afraid of going home and backsliding after leaving this exciting Christian event? And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me in my mind and said, Look, if she's got a boyfriend or she's had a boyfriend in the past and they've, had, they've uh, uh, been uh, immoral together and she's expecting when they go back that, that they're going to get back into that and uh, that's why she's afraid that she'll backslide. Well, I didn't know how to quite this say this to somebody and so I tried to get, is there something in your life that maybe when you go, uh, when you get, and I was trying to, and she was saying, no, not really. And so, anyway, thankfully, my prayer partner, the other person who was praying with me, uh, God had spoken the same thing to that person, and he just came out with it and said, well, this is your problem, isn't it? She said, yes. And, you know, and she repented. She, she confessed her sin, she, and she was uh, repenting and making right with God. But see, she had desires, and so did a former boyfriend. And, and they had desires, and, and, and she wanted to meet those desires, whether it was for sexual relations with him or whether it was just desires to please him and to keep him on tab, who knows. But she, uh, she, she had these desires. They did not have to constitute her life. They did not have to form her life. They could be controlled. And, and thankfully, she went on from there to really grow in the Lord and move away from that kind of lifestyle. All people are equal before God, but not all desires are equal. Right? All people are equal, but all desires are not equal. Some desires are simply wrong. Some desires are stupid. You know, should a parent give in to every desire of a child and give them everything they want, ever. Anybody who's ever been a parent is going to say, no, no, no. They want to cross that road? No, you're going to stop them, even if they really, really want to cross that road when the traffic is going by. And, and so you don't do that. Orient, the word we have now in our culture about sex is orientation. What, what is your sexual orientation. The orientation is nothing more than desires. And of course, that's another, it's another word for desires. You are not dehumanized when your desires are challenged. Rather, you're dehumanized when your passions and desires rule your life. You are being less than a human, can be and should be. You're being less than a human, can be or should be. It's actually giving in to sinful desires is dehumanizing in itself. It takes you away from the glorious life that God intends for you. We don't have to follow around the people around us who don't know God. 
And because they don't know God, they don't understand his ways. And it's not surprising that they don't agree with the way we're meant to live following Jesus, the way that that they should live. Paul says, don't defraud your brother or sister in this matter, right? Because holiness is both horizontal as well as vertical. It's holiness is is living in a sense right the right way before God and before people and when we live unrighteously we not only displease the Lord we also wound people so we need to keep keep sexual activity within the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman you know I I uh, was once speaking in this church and uh, I was there for a while and there was quite a, if you like, God was really working in the people and it was wonderful to see as people were being saved and people responding to God and p- people being recommitted to Jesus and, also, and called into missions and all sorts of things were going on. And, but it, as, I was, as I was coming he told me what they were doing the programs they had the the things that they were doing the activities the church was up to he couldn't or didn't really answer the question what God was doing now of course we can't speak for God in that sense of know everything that God is doing but a pastor or a church leader should have some idea even if it's not perfect of what he sees the Lord doing even if it's a limited understanding of what God is really doing there, we should have some understanding. And I, I just thought something is up with this guy. I didn't know what was wrong with him. It seemed pleasant enough. And he, was, he asked me to preach, so he's a great guy, you know. So, but uh, anyway, people started to come to these series of meetings and, uh, and there was something really wonderful going on, but still something missing and... Uh, after the, these series of meetings finished, um, but there was the spirit was still working, and a week later, in another meeting, a, uh, there was a and, and this had begun in, in our meetings when I was there, and some others that we were, we were working with were there. There started to be some public confession of sin. People started to get up and say, this is what God has convicted me of. I need to repent from it. Please pray with me I'm, you know, and ask the Lord's forgiveness. And there was some of this public confession of sin. Unsought for, it was just spontaneous. God was moving. Well, this kind of went on after we left. And uh, the next week, as people started to confess their sins, a woman in the church stood up and confessed uh, to having an affair with the pastor. She's in, and that's what she did in public in front of the church. Now that was a bit of a shock, everybody, including his family, and who were there. But she confessed to having this affair with this this pastor. And it turns out it was worse than even worse than that. She had been living 
uh, in, she had begun this affair two churches previously from this pastor when, living, when he was living in another town and she was there with her. He was, had his family, his wife and kids, and she had her husband. And they began this affair two towns ago. The pastor moved to one different church. She manipulated her own family to move to the same town, carry the, carry the affair. He moved to a th another town. She manipulated her husband without his knowing what was going on to move to this next town to continue this affair. That's what was going on. And then she got convicted, praise the Lord, and it all came to an end. But she is defrauding. She is her own husband, her own family, his husband, his wife, sorry, his family. Everybody is being wounded in this situation. Holiness and love go together. Look at the framing of this text, right? In chapter 3, at the end, Paul talks about uh, he prays for the increase of their love. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. And at the, in, in the end of this text, in verse 10, you do love all the brothers, but we exhort you brothers, do so more and more. So this command to holiness in sexual relations is framed with the increase of love on either end of it. And that is, you mean, is, it means that the holiness and the love defi help define each other. What does it mean to love your wife or your husband or your family? Part of that means the way you live in holiness in sexual areas, right? What does it mean uh, to be holy? It means, it means to love. And so we saw already last week that love is how you're going to be holy to grow in love is how you're going to be holy before the Lord. All right. So, notice again in this text the strength of expression and theological reasoning. Right? It's the will of God. He said, compared to the nations who don't know God. Paul says, the Lord, Jesus is an Lord, the Lord is an avenger in all these things. He says, we told you in advance and we solemnly testified to you. He says in verse holiness although I've got to say growing in holiness is not super grad should not be super gradual right it's not like you know I've been committing adultery 10 times the last month I'm going to cut it down to five next month you know that's not what he's talking about there's, pri there's crisis there is process but there's also crisis right it's not I've got to get better at not committing adultery no it's this radical transformation that works out in everyday life Lastly, 
verses 9 to 12, life and work as mission. I, you know, I've got in the, in the notes, life as mission, I'm going to add life and work as mission, the priority of love. He says to them, <laughs> I don't need to write it to you about loving your brothers because you've been taught by God to love them and that's indeed what you're doing to all the brothers in the whole of the province of Macedonia. But we urge you brothers, do it more and more. You know, grow in this. That's interesting. It's a, notice again this build up to the, to, the, to, the, to the call to love more. He spends a, a verse and a half here basically, right? Before he gets to the point, love more. That's all a way of focusing attention, saying this is important. It's also a figure of speech. When you say, I'm not going to, I don't have to say to you. <laughs> and then he goes and says it. This is a figure of speech the Greeks called paralipsis. It's a, a way of uh, denying what you are going, uh, of say, saying that you're not going to say something. And in saying so, in doing so, say it. It's a way of softening uh, the kind of harshness of what you really want to say or the hardness of it. And so he, he says, I don't really tell you this, but, and then he does it. This is what God has taught you, he says. Abound in it all the more. Make it your ambition. Just as we instruct you. There's such strong expressions here. We please God by loving one another. The priority of love. Well, God had taught them to love one another. Recognize how far you've come already. He says, for indeed you are doing it for all the brothers in the whole of Macedonia. But we please God by growing in love for one another. You love, love more. Just like we saw last week, your faith, you trust, trust more. You love, love more. You please God by the way we love the brothers and the way we love others, as we saw in 3 verse 12. Love, you need to grow in love for one another and for everybody. And so in the, verse, in the last verse of this, in verse 11, or last two verses, verse 11 and 12, he says, he talks about life in the city. That's what he's talking about. Make it your ambition. He does three things. Live quietly, meaning live restfully, not causing disturbance. Second thing, mind your own business. Means He's not just saying don't talk to anybody. You know, He's saying practice taking up your own responsibilities. Look after your own responsibilities. And then he says, work with your hands. That's a fascinating thing. Because in the Greek and Roman culture of the day, someone who was a manual laborer was utterly despised and looked down on. And, uh, you know, especially the wealthy affluent people thought they were literally despicable if you were, you know, a cake maker or, a, 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 you know, a road digger. They're just absolutely despicable. Didn't, they were happy for you to do what you did because they used your products. They just thought you were despic literally despicable. And uh, the only kind of manual labor that was any good was farming because that's what everybody had to do to make their wealth. And, and so that's... Uh, that's what they thought. And Paul's saying, work with your own hands. Be willing to take on, to work at jobs with no status. Listen, we still affect, we're still affected by status uh, issues in our culture. We want jobs with status, not just with money, right? That's why, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why um, 
sometimes people would rather get a job as a journalist than a plumber, you know, uh, because even though journalists pays less, it's, it's got more status. It's not, there are other reasons as well, but that's one of the reasons. People want a status, a job with status. And so Paul's saying, work with your own hands. Roman Greece had a patronage culture. That is, you were looking for someone further up the social food chain than you, someone more money and more influence, and if you could get ahead by, by buttering them up, becoming a, a client to them as a patron, they would look after you and they would help you financially, give you a reference, get you ahead, help you in a court case. You would support them in, in civic politics. And, and so, and you would come and turn up at their house every day and, and, and their little, as they're holding court and you would flatter them and tell them how wonderful they are and they'd give you some food and money. And this was patronage. And Paul is totally against this kind of patronage culture uh, where you, because he says, be willing to work a job with no status and have need. And this is the way to live properly in the world around because most of the people in the Roman and Greek world had no status for their job that was many so many of them were slaves so many manual laborers they had they were low class low status and that's the people that was Paul was particularly concerned about the gospel's coming for them be willing to be like them in status and to live properly before before them is to be willing to work and not to be dependent on patronage, whether it's the patronage of the church or the patronage of an, of an individual or of the state. That's why he says, have need of no one. And the mission of the church is fulfilled as we love one another and as we love the world and as, and as we work, guess what? When we're doing that, we meet our own needs. Uh, we have a, the mission works out because we, it looks like it has integrity to those outside. Conclusion then, pleasing God in life. How do we please God? By growing, right? By growing, don't stagnate. By growing in holiness and sex and marriage and by growing in love for one another and for all, whether it's in church, in our city or at work, you can see in this passage that the gospel and the truth of Jesus gets into the real nitty-gritty of life, how you work, how you practice relationships in, in, in marriage and in, in, in sexual uh, issues. These, these things are affected by the gospel. This is a faith that, this is a truth that needs to engage with every aspect of our life. So we live to please God. We need to live to please God. Make him happy by growing. Faith in holiness, in love. And next week, in hope. We'll talk about that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, <laughs> thank you so much for your wonderful love for us that in your death and resurrection you've broken the power of sin and the power of death, given us a new hope and a new life. Lord, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name, we want to please you. We want to be those who walk pleasing to God and to grow, Lord, to grow and grow and grow 
in every area that we've already known and Lord in our areas of our relationships our marriage our sex lives Lord to grow in love for one another and for all to grow in effect on our community as we as we grow and even in godliness in work father in Jesus name transform our lives amen Thanks, John. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and spend some time to meditate on the word today uh, that was so well delivered. Um, I encourage you to, to pray through um, what was being spoken today and ask the Lord to reveal any parts of your lives that uh, may need some uh, repenting and turning around. Um, but you guys can go ahead and take some time to do that. Um, if you haven't filled out your connection cards, either online or in person, you can also go ahead and feel free to do that as well. Having a few technical issues here.
Why don't you sing this verse out with us? Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one you could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. We live for you, sing holy. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in open up my eyes. Every breath we could ever 
to sing, I will build my life. Take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Oh, the joy I found surrendering my crowns at the Giving you my all, I lay it all down. 
lay it all down. I lay it. There's no greater. There is no greater call than giving you my all. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. There is no greater love, no higher name above. I lay it all down. I lay it as you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world would take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. See one more time. You can have it all. You can have it all. Take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. God, we give it to you all, all our lives, every single little iota of our lives. We want you to have it all. We cast our crowns, we cast our achievements, all our desires before you. And we ask that you would bring them and help us to bring them under our control and your control into your obedience. Have it all, Lord. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you guys next week.